Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Judge Me by My Cover. On the show today with us is Paolo Cerrone. Now, if you're in the fintech space, Paolo needs no introduction since he is practically the superstar in the space and a global citizen. Welcome, Paolo. Uh, thank you for having me here today. One of the first time I'm not flying on a Lufthansa flight. <laughs> I'm well grounded and we can speak for this podcast. That's awesome. So we pick you at the good time. Um, so now you are a pretty much a thought leader, a member of the IBM Industry Academy and an author of four books, which I am very, very jealous of. Um, your latest one, Financial Market Transparency, you launched it at the recent World Economic Forum, which, oh my goodness. Okay. So let, let's roll back a little bit. And can you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are? Well, I started my professional career in banking. So I was a risk manager, one of those quant gigs that like mathematics and stuff. And that was for 15 years. And then I thought it was time to build a FinTech. And that's when I moved from Milano to Germany in 2008 to transform the way banks are talking to their respective customers, starting from the well management angle. And five years into this fintech journey, IBM bought my small fintech in 2013. And so I joined IBM and IBM uh, looked for uh, also people capable of doing thought leadership, so authoritative conversations with the industry. At that time, we launched the IBM Industry Academy, which is a think tank that wants to aggregate conversations. And typically, we bring around the table uh, the financial institutions, the technology providers, the fintech entrepreneurs, the regulators, but I think I added something more. I also brought everybody else around the table. That means the human being, because innovation in digital needs to be consumed by people. So we definitely need to have a human touch and understand the biology of the individuals to make sure that whatever we do, we do something good for the community. You had a long career in financial services, um, initially within risk management, risk analytics, and then uh, wealth management, portfolio analytics, uh, before you joined uh, IBM. And you have written four books, uh, one on portfolio management and optimization, one on MIFID to regulations, one on fintech, and then the most recent one on uh, market transparency. That's a, that's a good variety of topics to cover. Uh, so um, I understand you, you were once asked, what inspired you to write these books on innovation and financial services? And you put out your thoughts um, on LinkedIn as a post, uh, which is, was amazing. Uh, so uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? And uh, uh, what, what kind of drove you to those books, to write those books? Well, I've, I've always been a curious individual. And when I was a kid, I was liking those games where you have to connect the dots and then, uh, you know, a drawing pops up which is finally like it. And I think like more or less 10 years ago, it happens that my former boss in banking, that became the president of the Italian market regulatory body, called me saying, hey, Paolo, have you heard what Barack Obama said? Now go back in time. It's right after 2009, the default of Lehman Brothers. And the financial services industry was taken by the storm. So basically the system was collapsing. So the policymakers had to figure out how to move out of this conundrum. So I said, uh, so what did Barack Obama say? So Barack Obama stepped out of the White House after a meeting and said, 
in order to transform the industry, we need to work on actual data, actual clients, and actual decision making. And then he said, Paolo, isn't this what you've been talking about ever since in the bank? And I said, holy cow, yes, <laughs> that's it. So I was, you know, really uh, inspired by, by that, uh, that sentence. And when I started uh, thinking about my literature after I joined IBM, I thought, you know what, I need to organize my thinking going back to those three pillars, actual data, actual clients, and actual decision making, which became my first three books. Actual data means um, we basically don't buy asset classes or PDF term sheets. We buy real products uh, exposed to real world uh, changes on the interest rate curve. The theory of finance is uh, faulted and needs to be updated. Uh, modern portfolio theory doesn't really work and people use it more for compliance than really decision making. So I conceived my first work, which is the probabilistic scenario optimization, which then underlines a lot of elements in, in, in my literature because we're always talking about money. So we need to make sure that we simulate the risk and return and the uncertainty in the proper way. Then the second book, which is possibly the most uh, mainstream, which is FinTech Innovation, as a subtitle from uh, Robo Advisors to Gold-Based Investing and Gamification, is about actual clients. Now, there are actual people there which are transforming the way they want to digest financial services and solutions uh, on digital. But digital is not necessarily an adequate technology because digital is a technology of the demand. It's a pool technology. While most of the well management and insurance uh, businesses operate in an offer driven modality. So it's a push economy. And we need to understand how the two relate. So, two elements are important. We need to change the language and the narrative. We need to discuss goals and not financial products, is a personalization element. And you see all of the robot advisors are moving in that direction. But we also need to resolve the problem of trust and how people make decisions. Now, we know that only when artificial intelligence will become truly and deeply conversational, the mobile will move from being a technology of the demand into being a technology of the offer side. For the time being, we need to have an added approach, and the industry is demonstrating that I was right in this forecast. And then we have actual decision-making, which is my third book. The title is MIFID II, Value Generation for Investors. So now, whatever we do needs to be part of a regulatory process, it needs to be uh, a fiduciary uh, responsibility in front of uh, the final clients. So convenience is important, but fiduciary is way more important. So we need to answer the question, which is the product and the solution that justify the fees? And I asked this question to Yves Terrier, the CEO of Amundi, which is the seventh largest asset manager in the world. We were sitting for a fireside chat at the Paris FinTech Forum last year. And you know what Yves Terrier answered to this question? He said, advisory, advisory ongoing, <laughs> with a French accent. That means the relationship. So that is very important to me because you see, most of the fintechs and banks made a mistake. They thought that digital was there as a derivative, therefore to digitize the distribution channel of products. That is faulted. Digital is there to digitize relationship, digitize knowledge in front of people, to help people be more comfortable in making financial decisions. So once I did all of these three books, I thought, okay, now I need to reconnect these dots. And I thought, uh, we have a problem here, Houston. The industry has a harder time in moving forward, and also a lot of technology players at Silicon Valley on top, 
because they did not understand what is the value of banking. So we need the theory of value. If we do not define value, we cannot build a new economy that generates value for people. And that is the financial market transparency, which I launched this year at the World Economic Forum. And just next week, I will be in Mexico for two book presentations, one with the Mexican Banking Association, another one at the EGADE Business School. And so in front of the academia, in front of the business leaders, because I think transparency is very important. Now, this last book is essential in many aspects because it helps us to understand why money is emotional, because it links at the topic of uh, fundamental uncertainty, which, by the way, also explains the Brexit, the sovereignism, and all sorts of uh, things which is happening today, uncertainty is rising, and the concept of time, irreversible time, which means building a consequentialist ethic that enables banks to be a fundamental mechanism to transform society for the good, where we can have not just finance, but good finance, not just tech, but also good tech. Now, how would this work? You know that uh, uh, the time of uh, people and the time of businesses is very short, typically. And digital is making it even shorter because we want everything instantaneous. We pay instantaneously. We open an account instantaneously. We can't wait. Now, the time of the planet and the time of humanity was meant to be long. But due to the impact we have on the environment, uh, we are making it shorter because of pollution and global warming. Now, we should not shorten the time of the planet. We need to stretch the time of people and the time of uh, businesses again. So we need a consequentialist ethic to resynchronize times. Now, do you know what is love? Theo, you know what love is? Love is a synchronization of time between two people. And true love is a synchronization of irreversible time. So the time concept should be brought at the basics of everything. And if you read my books, it is always there. We are bringing back time into finance. You're all over. In practically all the major ecosystems that we have, right, in, in financial services, you, have, you spend a fair amount of time in China, in Asia, which there's a lot of interesting happenings. You spend a lot of time in Europe, obviously, and then you have a viewpoint of Asia. So... From your perspective, what are your thoughts on all of these different ecosystems, um, you know, in China and Europe and, and U.S.? Um, I think they're all unique, right? And they're all different and progressing in different perspective. But somehow I, I find it more fascinating to watch what's going on in Asia um, than in the U.K. and the U.S. Well, without this respect with any region or any country, and, and I know that I'm overly simplifying with this statement, but um, we can see the world divided into three macro areas of influence. The first one is the United States of America. The U.S. is where technology and digital technology was born, and still it is largely innovated, even though we know that China is becoming very, very powerful and aggressive. You see the old discussion these days about the 5G. Chinese are ahead compared to the U.S. But let's say, largely speaking, the digital innovation was born in the U.S. Europe is where regulation is born. Europeans uh, have a, a strong regulatory approach because the European Commission has to harmonize European countries. So they are trying to make sure that we create a common playing field. 
And this is very important, notwithstanding the fact that regulation can be concerning for the many, because the regulation is an engine of innovation, because it changes the mindset of business leaders to act. But China is the fintech champion for the simple reason that China owns the business model. So when it comes to innovation, the business model is the most important thing. That's why the problem with banking is not the legacy systems. There is technology today to update the legacy systems. The problem is the legacy leadership, because innovating means that you transform the relationship with the client. Therefore, how the clients are finally consuming your products and services and how they are paying for them. So that changes it all in an organization. So now you need to have the right business model, but you need to understand how to plug in technology to scale it up. And very importantly, you also need to refer to a consistent regulatory framework to make sure that you don't lose track and you protect the consumers and investors. So in reality, you need the three of them. Now, China is ahead of the business model, but may not be that good in regulation, for example. And you know the US uh, might not always have the right business model. Regulation is a bit weaker and so on and so forth. In Europe, we know that there's a lot of regulation, but we're a bit behind, especially when it comes to AI in understanding how to build up the enterprise-wide architectures and to deploy them. Now, clearly, Asia is definitely interesting because as much as in China, the business model starts to dominate because the financial inclusion perspective enables to create things that were not there before, completely fresh. So thinking at first principle instead of a derivative, instead of a derivative of existing financial services. Now, in this uh, view of, uh, of the world, uh, we are forgetting Mars. And now I tell you here that Elon Musk is my biggest enemy, because if Musk ever conquers Mars, IBM will send economic class to sell something to the Martians. <laughs> and that's two years journey. <laughs> so now I'm trying to reduce my travel here. So I hope that the world stays global, but not too global. Okay. Uh, one of the things I when we talk about Asia, um, I must confess that I've been uh, guilty of calling some of these Asian businesses uh, pure fintechs, uh, but that's that's really not the case, isn't it? It's uh, they're all largely lifestyle businesses who have fi adopted fintech business models uh, to keep their core proposition stickier. So that's that's really what they've done. But because of the sheer consumer base. They are now like huge chains, right? With uh, 40 trillion in uh, mobile payments happening in China last year, uh, it's three times the size of the GDP. Uh, it's, it's just monster size uh, transaction sizes and, and, and numbers coming out of uh, China. Anyways, so moving on to the next question, um, if, you, if you were to have a crystal ball and if you were to um, guess what's gonna, what's the, what the fintech world is going to look like in five years' time, what would your thoughts be? Well, as I previously mentioned, that the real game changer will be the uh, conversational AI uh, improvement uh, in terms of uh, conversational banking, because that is the element that would enable the fintech to climb up uh, the value chain of the banking and insurance proposition, because most of those margins would have a harder time to be digitized. When that happens, 
that is when exactly the industry will be transformed. And this is basically my direct criticism to the play of uh, the challenger banks or some of these uh, uh, players because they've been great in applying uh, agile uh, um, approaches in order to create uh, platforms on payments. But in essence, they digitize the low margin products. And in order to be sustainable, they need to have 1 billion customers. And even WeChat may not have, notwithstanding their success, 1 billion customers. So what I think is, is happening is that uh, People are trying to uh, starting to understand uh, my uh, long-standing comment that uh, the real digital platform needs to be a platform for financial advice, and I start to see players that are operating uh, with this type of mindset, uh, learning that it is more important to bundle back fintech services instead of unbundling a bank, because uh, on the platform economy, that's what the internet economy demonstrated uh, only the platform wins. Now, you know that Amazon is the platform in the Western world for my consumption, Facebook for my personal life, LinkedIn is the platform for my professional engagement. I invite all of uh, the people listening to this podcast to join me on Facebook and LinkedIn. Twitter is the platform for my chanta paranoia. I want to know what he says every time. But where is the platform for my financial life? That will be the real sustainable unicorn. And it is starting to appear a bit at a time. Now, let me tell you this. Why the platform that we will see five years from now will be an advisory platform? I know that many consulting firms are discussing three types of platforms. They say, well, the digital platform needs to be a distribution platform or a manufacturing platform or a marketplace. Neither nor, especially the marketplace. When I talk to the CEO and the board of Chinese banks, they tell me we cannot compete with Unfinancial or with uh, Tencent. How do we differentiate in value? When I talk to the board of uh, the Western World Bank's insurance companies, there's always somebody raising their hand saying, how can we become like Airbnb? And I'm like, no, you can't. <laughs> the Chinese already know that you shouldn't do that. Now, the real differentiating element for banks and fintech uh, fighting against uh, the tech fin players is the advisory platform. But that means uh, going back to the real motivation of people to consume financial services, uh, which is a biological motivation. Now, in the 1990s, um, uh, Jeff Bezos was interviewed and he was asked, I think, on 60 Minutes, uh, what is Amazon? At the time, he was only selling books. Now, his answer is uh, revealing to me. Jeff Bezos said, I'm receiving letters from the publishers complaining because they say that I allow the users to write the negative reviews of the books. And mind, nobody should write a negative review of my books, okay? <laughs> but they say, well, it's marketing, Jeff. You don't understand, stupid. Just put the positive reviews. We will sell more books. So you know what Jeff Bezos answered? Jeff answered, you don't understand. You are not my client. My client is the person that buys the book. And me, I am not a distribution channel of books on the internet. Me, I'm not a logistics company. My role is to advise the client on which is the best book to buy. Because he said, if the client doesn't know which book to choose, even if I can deliver a book in one hour, he's not going to buy it. 
And now you see, this is exactly the problem. A lot of fintechs and digital banks today, they thought of digitizing the distribution channel of products one way or another, but they did not resolve the motivational problem that enabled people autonomously to consume finance, especially where the margins are higher, even though they are under pressure. That is what artificial intelligence and conversational banking can do. But in order to work and to really give value to clients, you need to, to make sure that you aggregate under the same umbrella more fintech and banking services. So what is uh, five years from now the role of the bank? And it will become more and more uh, apparent also because I believe that my last book, uh, Financial Market Transparency, will be definitely successful. Well, banks have this fabulous opportunity of being that mechanism that creates behavioral awareness in people's actions, that helps people to be more self-responsible in the way they deal with money, with finance, with spending, with insuring, and so on and so forth. If bankers manage to be paid for helping people to make a decision instead of placing a product, we will be able to transform society and we will be able to create a more inclusive society, making sure that banking is ethical, making sure that technology provides a good impact on the economy. We would like to give a mention to our creative partner, Tremendousness. Tremendousness is a creative agency that uses visual thinking, information design, and storytelling to help organizations explore and innovations, products, and processes. Learn more at www.tremendo.us. I can't agree more. I um, recently uh, posted um, an, an article on um, Harvard Business Review on something very similar is how can we reimagine using voice technology, right, in, in banking services, especially now that your interaction is not confined to a physical bank branch anymore, right? You have your mobile phone, you have laptops, you have smart speakers, you have all sorts of connected appliances in your, in your house. So how can you leverage all of those modalities, if, if you will, and evolve the customer experience and understand them from a contextual perspective and then to be able to predict what is useful for them? Yes, voice is the new marketing. is a bit futuristic. But I would actually say even more than customer experience, customer engagement, because the client experience, however important, is not that important strategically because it commoditizes very fast, like the Wi-Fi in a hotel. 20 years ago, 15 years ago, right? It was like a class. Now every hotel should have it, correct? But the engagement is the one that creates stickiness, uh, which is basically the heart of uh, a trusted relationship, which should be the essence of banking. So how can you digitize the engagement mechanism? That's where you need artificial intelligence to do something important. And then I tell you something more. I've been very critical uh, with data scientists and somehow some of my colleagues do in the past, and I think that I won this battle too, because I always tell uh, these guys that um, it is not important to understand the client. Now, don't get me wrong. It is important to understand clients, but there is something way more important before that to make sure that your uh, digital innovation works. The problem is not that you as a bank don't understand the client. The problem is that the client doesn't understand the bank. 
So if you don't resolve this problem first, you cannot use big data and AI in order to optimize the relationship with the client. So first of all, you need to use AI to make sure that the client is enabled to understand finance. Then you need to use AI to make sure that on the platform you can better service your customers. It's the same example we made before about Amazon in his early days. They solved the first problem first, and then they could do the second, and they are where they are today. So from our perspective, right, what could we learn then? You mentioned, you talked a little bit about, you know, the, the winner is, is the platform, right? And either don't try to be a marketplace, not a distribution center, but, but a platform. What would be your message to, you know, those of us, you know, in the U.S. and, 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 and in Europe? What can they learn from all of these innovators out there around the world, um, how, how can we get ahead, right? Because it seems to be we are suffering from, well, from the shackles of the past, if you will. Look, Innovation Labs made a mistake. They tried to look value into the individual algorithms or POCs, while the value is always in the architectures. I mentioned at the very beginning that I started my career as a risk manager. I was head of quantitative risk management modeling for investment banks between 1996 and 2008. Now, in the 1990s is where Basel One started making his uh, effect. Basel One was uh, signed in 1988, if you remember well. And so the older risk management history started. Before that, there was no risk management architecture in banks. Traders uh, could do their business without having to report the risk that could have basically hit the profitability, if not the existence of banks. Now, Risk management is an example of holistic innovation because a lot of things happen. You have to transform the processes, the mindset of people. So to me, it's a good example to compare it with the fintech revolution these days. So at that time, banks divided into two types of institutions. Those that believed that the value was in the individual quantitative algorithms, therefore the front office induced them, and those that thought instead that they had to find a compromise building an AI type, sorry, quantitative type of architecture capable of discussing the allocation of capital. You fast forward 20 years after the global financial crisis and you see that those banks that exaggerated in the, the belief that the value was in the algorithm have the highest cost of capital today, if not defaulted. Those banks instead that understood the value was in the architecture stayed afloat and today have a lower cost of capital. Now, if you think about what is happening these days uh, with the, the uh, technology players in China, they are thinking platform. For them, uh, Artificial intelligence is infused in every process. Data is the element that connects all of the elements in a relationship with the final customer. Maybe you could do that in better ways, in more transparent ways, more ethical ways. That's it. But in essence, they are thinking platform. In the Western world, most of the banks and fintech, they sought individual analytics, individual algorithms. Now, it is not the individual AI or blockchain uh, or quantum-induced analytics that matters, but your capability of building a consistent engagement where that is the element that moves the client around the banking charter. That's great, Paolo. And uh, we are coming to the close of this recording session. And uh, before we let you go, I just want to ask you one final question. So what are you working on now? What, are, what is your next book? Enlighten us. 
That is actually a good question. I have to say that my last financial market transparency theory, which is very dense, I said is like Nutella, consumed a lot of my brain power <laughs> and I needed to recharge. So what I started doing after Davos is the following. I started reading French literature because I love French. And I thought that I had to somehow reconnect <laughs> some of the elements. So I don't know whether I want to be inspired with something which is really, really out of technology as a fifth book, or uh, I will dive a bit longer into the transparency concept to help understand how that embraces the whole economy, not just finance. But for the time being, I'm more into poetry than technology, if I can say. And that even Watson can beat me. You had me at French literature. I actually did that for um, six years. Um, and, and I loved it. Although, unfortunately, after moving to the U.S., um, I lost it because nobody speaks French in the U.S. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I, you know, the, it, it's a shame, but it's beautiful. It's a beautiful language. And, and there should be someone in the upper east side of New York, for sure. <laughs> I will need to find them. Um, but you left me with this. And uh, I, I just have to, like, tweet it out later. Um, real love is when iris irreversible lifetime of two individual synchronous. So I hope I, 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 got, I got part of it, right? I, that was the notes I wrote down when you were talking earlier. Um, so you I love that. The industry is discussing ESG and SRI a lot these days in the attempt to generate value, and that's important. But uh, you need to make sure that value is generated to create impact. And really, this is not just about discussing one problem again, uh, Cartesian deterministic like uh, oil or nuclear power is a more complex type of uh, uh, problem to resolve, to be resolved. And, and that's why you really need to find ways to realign the time of society with the time of the planet. I know that a uh, lot of people have been discussing uh, behavioral science uh, recently and, uh, and behavioral scientists have uh, a lot to say, but they're also making a little mistake here because the um, Libertarian paternalism believes that uh, even using technology, I can nudge people to modify their behavior and therefore might have a good impact in society or in the, the, the relationship with the environment. The problem with this approach is that they don't understand that when uncertainty grows, people modify their behavior. And it's not that people are rational or irrational. People are in their life, both rational and irrational. The opponent of the concept of rationality is the reality, which is basically our biological human being. So now, I think that instead for change to be resilient, we don't have to nudge people. We need to give them back awareness because people need to be aware about the problems of the planet. They need to be aware about the problem of the community, the problem of inclusiveness, the problem of diversity, the problem of uh, a globalized world. So we need to make this uh, uh, community effort to help people raise their awareness. And in this case, I believe that banks uh, would be a fundamental and wonderful uh, uh, mechanism for that because banking economy is everywhere. And banking has the ethical duty to help people relate with their finances properly, to allocate finance uh, opportunities also in the right way. So by doing that, they can help people create awareness. And if everybody starts moving, then is when you start realigning the time of everybody, which becomes the time of a community with the time of the planet. 
That's awesome. So with that, thank you so much for your time with us. I, I felt like I just sat through a whole lecture um, and it's an amazing conversation. Thank you, Paula. I'm always happy to talk to you and to Arun. So I hope I will be back soon. Cheers, Paolo. Thank you so much. Thank you. As we say in Italy, ciao. Ciao. Ciao.